Welcome to the Raising Successful Kids podcast. This is a podcast where we will discuss and explore how to raise children to be successful in all areas of their life. Irene Santanier is a working mum of an entrepreneurial child and shares a passion with her husband to see children succeed. And now, introducing your host, Irene Santanier. Hi everyone, welcome to the Raising Successful Kids podcast. I spent some time recently with um, a very interesting lady called Kerry Davis Munro and we had a long conversation sitting in the sunshine and the, the podcast went on for quite a long time and rather than run it all the way through um, as one podcast, I thought it would be better to have it as two podcasts. So what you're going to be listening to first of all is the first half of the podcast um, where Kerry explains about what she does, um, how she came to be being um, the coach that she is and we talk a little bit about our relationship with food um, as an individual and family um, and then later on the next episode will be in two weeks time the next episode will be the part two of that where we go into a little bit more detail we talk about different um, tips and tricks and we were just having a really lovely conversation sitting on a golf course in the sunshine Um, so I hope you enjoy the podcast and let me know either way thank you Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Raising Successful Kids. Um, I'm sitting uh, with somebody who I think you're going to find very interesting. I know that you're going to enjoy this podcast um, today with a lady called Kerry Davis Munro. Um, She has a very particular skill set which I think is um, very important when we're thinking of how to raise our kids or those kids in our um, environment to think and be successful. Um, I'm not going to tell you what she does, I'm going to allow her to tell you what she does and give her a little bit of her backstory. Um, So thank you very much for agreeing to come on to the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Um, Would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where where you're from, a bit of your backstory maybe? Yeah, sure. So um, so I'm Carey, um, originally from Southampton, but university in Birmingham, uh, lived in Brighton and taught um, physical education and dance for about nine years in Brighton and a year in France. And then for the last um, 18 to 20 years, I guess, I've lived in um, southwest London. Um, so I have a background in in well-being, I guess, around physical education, which was which was my childhood. Yeah. Um, I played sport. I was lucky enough to play sport to quite a high level, um, and then moved up to London to work in and around HR. Oh, okay, quite different then. Very different, very different, yes. I I think that I went into PE teaching because I had an absolute passion for it myself. I'd played to a high level and it had been my whole life. Mm. Um, And um, I found teaching at that point and teaching PE Mm. um, and the way that was structured for girls' PE um, in particular, um, very difficult, quite demoralising. I had some difficult situations to deal with. 
Um, and I decided that so that I didn't lose my love of sport and what it had given me, that I was going to move away from that. Okay. Um, and actually someone who I'd played British universities um, at sport with said to me, come and my husband's got an HR role, why don't you come and give it a go, a go you'd be great. So mm. I, I did. Um, and then I did my qualifications, my CIPD qualifications, um, and then worked my way up and then became very interested in well-being, in corporate well-being and corporate health. Okay. And when why I... Was, why was that, if you don't mind me interrupting you? What did you see there that made you interested in that? Yeah, so I, th I think my specialism within human resources and my, and my interest because of my background in teaching had always been learning and development and L&D. So I... Um, I became, um, that became my area of specialism and I worked on different training programs and became very interested in um, the concept of presenteeism and employees being at work and, um, but really not being there in terms of not being well enough to be there okay. and also not being motivated to be there. Mm. So the trainings that I, I ran were all about attitudinal training and motivational training. Mm. You can have you know you can spend all of your budget on skills mm. but actually if people aren't motivated to be there and certainly if they're not well yeah. and they're turning up to work but they're not able to perform to their best yeah. then what's the point of the having the skills training yeah absolutely um so at the point that I was pregnant with my first child, I left and set up my own consultancy. But my consultancy mainly focused on well-being. Um, I was way ahead of the game at that point, and people didn't really think that that was something to, to focus on. Um, I didn't know any anyone else doing it at that point. Um, and it was a really hard sell because the idea of having a well-being program and about prioritizing employees in that way just wasn't something that people no. were thinking about. Now so, handoff. Yes. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not yeah. So, um, so I think I, you know, I was I was going in and talking to people about looking at employees first of all, and mm. getting the, the wider corporate, but looking at the employees within that, and then the wider mm. corporate comes. Um, absolutely focusing on the bottom line, but the bottom line can only be focused on when you have your employees working to their optimum potential yeah. and they want to be there. So yeah, yeah. that was my viewpoint, and it still is. Mm. Um, so yeah, I still go into some corporates and work with them on on well-being, and that's my um, that's my point of view. Okay. So as far as um, what you do now, because um, when you're going into a company or when you're working with clients. What is it? What is it that you particularly do? Because well-being is a huge um, yeah. arena, isn't it? Yeah, so. it is. So my specialism is food, mm. um, and I am a coach, um, stroke mentor. Um, but I work with people as a food coach to optimise their relationship with food, which for me. Um, you know, as, as I guess a prior athlete and somebody whose sport and physical education has been everything, mm -hmm. I now realise that you can't outrun your fork and the most important thing for you is your food and your nutrition. Yeah. So I had become quite ill. Mm. Um, I'd played sport all through my teens and certainly into my 20s. And I think back there we didn't have... Well, we certainly didn't have the information available in respect of what we should be eating as high-performing sports people, the nourishment that we needed, and um, and I hammered myself. You know, I, I was I was good, at, luckily enough to be good at what I did, and I just hammered myself into the ground. So I had a bout of 
absolutely debilitating glandular fever where I couldn't do anything but crawl for a period of about three weeks um, and I was about 14 at the time so it was quite a critical time before before my um, exams etc um, but it I didn't really take any notice of that and I still didn't link it to what I was doing so I was continuing to get back and I needed to, to, to play sport again so I was then depressed because I wasn't playing sport and then through university again, same thing. I played sport all the way through. I played English universities, British universities. I even did a tour of Australia, but I didn't ever stop to look at what I was fueling my body. Mm. So I had um, a, a terrible um, kidney infection where I actually slept on a board for a week before I realized what it was because I thought that I had injured my back doing wall jumps. Um, I went through uh, you know, repeated bouts of glandular fever um, in terms of my system and my adrenals crashing. Yeah. Uh, I, at no point nobody ever mentioned nutrition not, at all. Absolutely not. Mm. Absolutely not. No one said a word to me. Mm. Um, and then uh, through university, I then had um, a, a neop, my first of two neops at that point. And then in my 20s, I continued to play sport, but I was permanently exhausted, mm. permanently had headaches. My digestion had all but... Um, seized up on me um, I had pain in my joints um, and I just felt exhausted yeah. all the time yeah. so I was running on empty and I could feel I was running on empty yeah. and a very good friend that I had played um, sport with again had trained to become a nutritionist and I went and did um, some tests with her and she looked at me and at that point th I mean to some to some extent the the um, the science behind it has been has debunked it, but I had a hair sample at the time. So she cut off a piece of hair at the back of my head and sent it off to a lab that was testing at that point in the States. And it came back and without knowing my name or anything about me, it listed all my symptoms, which was quite frightening for me. Um, a big wake up call. Um, it noted that I had um, high levels of aluminium and high levels of metals, which was causing the headaches, causing you know, my, my digestion, as I said, which had all but given up on me, the pain in my joints. And it said that if I didn't do something about this quickly, um, and if, it, if I had, didn't take control, then there was a possibility of Alzheimer's. Oh so I, I literally, you know, as I said, some people have said to me since, you know, well, these hair samples, you know, they, we're not sure whether really the, the science behind it is, is justified. And I say to me, it didn't matter, it didn't matter because from one day to the next, I decided that I was going to change what I was doing. Yeah. And um, the nutritionist wrote out a list of things I needed to do. And the thing for me, I guess, you know, this is why I work with other people. I was lucky. I, I had always, at that point, I'd always cooked for myself I had um, played around with foods and I knew that I could I you know food for me had become a highlight of the day even if I wasn't eating the right things and I think that is for most of us yes. you know food interacts um, with everything that we do and is part of everything that we do so I decided that I was going to make some big changes but that for me food was still going to be the highlight of my day yeah. and it was still going to be that important so I made it my quest to introduce the things I knew I needed to introduce, take out the things I needed to take out, mm -hmm. but to create the most delicious and nutritious food mm -hmm. that I was going to reward myself with. Okay. 
and that's one of my key messages that I, I work with um, with clients. Mm. This is about reward. It's not about denial. It yeah. wasn't about what I couldn't have. Um, it's all about the upgrades. Yeah. So from one day to the next, I changed what I ate. I changed what I cooked with. Mm. So my pots and my pans, mm. um, which had been causing me damage. Yeah. I threw away my non-stick pans. I bought my stainless steel and my ceramics. and. Mm. Um, so from one day to the next, I changed. I then did a course myself. Um, I did a home study course from the Institute of Nutrition. I decided I didn't want to be a nutritionist. I didn't want to go into the science in that way, but I wanted to know enough about it. So I read voraciously around the subject, which I, I still do. I take part in forums. I, I read all of the latest science that comes out on different, um, different topics. But I decided that I wanted to work with people in a different way. And for me, um, you know, a visit to the nutritionist was a, was a great wake up call and I had a huge amount of information to take away, um, advice on supplementation and everything else. And I was lucky enough to be able to, to put that into practice. Yeah. Now I tend to work with people who don't necessarily feel confident enough to put that into practice, mm. are dealing with other things and therefore don't know how to have the time to put that into practice and feel that they don't have the know-how. So what I do is is different from a dietitian. Um, it's certainly different from a nutritionist. Yeah. Having said that, much of my knowledge, ha you yeah. know, is, is yeah. very, very similar. Yeah. But I tend to work with people in a very practical way mm. to coach them through changing and uh, understanding their relationship with food. Mm. Um, I've just written my own book and it's been very interesting to think about some of my early memories, which I didn't think I had many early memories, but most of them, um, most of them focus on and around food. Yeah. Um, well, and like it's such an integral part of how we live. It's linked to how we are socially, um, when we're, you can't go out if you're in an office space or something like that. There's always something around let's go out and either meet clients for food mm. or um, have a group meeting or a team meeting, whatever it might be. And teenagers always seem to be hanging around good places. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yes, yeah. So with what you're doing then, although you're not, you're not a nutritionist, as you said, and not a dietitian, but it's how much of what you do with your clients is around mindset? A huge part. So I take my I take my clients. They they are centre stage. So I guess the biggest difference between um, you know going to visit a dietitian or going to, to see a nutritionist is they'll talk to you, they'll do some tests, and they'll make some recommendations. Um, I tend to put my clients centre stage. So with with any coaching process, you believe that your client has the answers inherently. Um, and so I start with them as their process, uh, at, at the center of that process. They set their own goals. Mm -hmm. We go through and we understand what's going on now, why that might be happening now. Um, and we link the goal to the big why. Mm -hmm. So what's important about this? Um, what's this going to give you? How is this going to affect your relationships? Mm -hmm. How is this going to affect the rest of your life? Mm. Um, what's going to happen if you don't do this? Mm. So we connect them to their goal, or I, I make sure that I connect them to their goal and understand that because often people will decide to make some changes in diet, but they haven't really gone through the thought processes. No. And it is 100% mindset driven. Mm. Because once you connect and once you understand why that why you're doing it, and it's different for each, it's different for every client. You know that's why 
I, I don't agree with diets per se. I certainly don't agree with calorie counting or any of that. That's not part of my philosophy. Mm. I believe food is, um, is all about treating yourself the best that you can be and changing that mindset. So clients connect to their goal, understand that goal, and we come back to that overall goal. And then we take them on a journey. So I work with people ideally for about 12 weeks. Um, and I would say out of those 12 weeks when people come and they think they just want to work on food, probably six will be on something else yeah. because you can't isolate it. And it is, it is a case of, um, as I say, it penetrating our relationships, it penetrates our career, it penetrates work. Um, and there's often so many, so many other things that people are dealing with. So we have the overall goals and we understand that and that becomes something that we're building in and doing as well. But each week I tend to have, you know, there's a different focus. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's a lovely process because it's entirely client-led mm. and as much as possible, um, they come out with their own actions. Um, and those actions are very specific, very measurable, um, and they're accountable. We, we celebrate the successes, but it's about changing the relationship with food forever okay. and about it being sustainable. So it's, it's like going on a, on a journey but, and, and you deciding where you want to go, but actually somebody having the torch and just help showing you the light here and there and, or somebody holding your hand to yeah. do that. And obviously people come to see me not only just to find the answers themselves but to then you know I can then make something just I can enhance it so they might say well I really I need to change my breakfast and I know I could do this and I could do that and say okay so I can give you some really quick wins there mm. and I can accelerate this journey that you're on I can make it easier for them um, I can support them with you know lots of my own recipes and and the experience that I've had, so that's why people would would come to see me. But it's a, it's a very um, it's a coachy led process, client led um, process. Yeah. And then what I do is I I supplement where I know that I can add huge value on the way. Okay, so if you had a client come to you who you found out that um, through this process that it was actually. Um, somebody else in the family for instance yes um say a teenager or something like that who actually had the issue yeah um but the parent was taking it on as well not realizing that they're they're living that issue themselves and how would you deal with that do you break it down that far would how would you absolutely so before so before i i start working with somebody we have some um, pre-conversations and then I sent out an info pack and in the info pack I will ask you know what people are dealing with and what the outcome is and so I have an understanding and it's 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 so illuminating because people think that they're going to come and talk to me for one reason and often they will be sitting fitting that filling that form in mm. and say to me I just wasn't aware I was thinking that yeah. I wasn't aware that was going on in my head mm. um, and I work predominantly with parents of teenagers mm. although I work with you know with everybody individuals um and and parents will be saying well i want to optimize what my teenagers are eating or these are the issues that i'm dealing with with my teenager and almost all of the underlying issues with teens can be eased and can be helped by changing what they're eating okay. and through food okay so the habits that they've picked up and those habits can be picked up either um, from the family eating together and not having a lot of knowledge of, of nutrition or what's good and what's bad 
if you would use those terms i don't know if you excuse i don't know if you use those terms. yeah sometimes i tend to, to i tend to um i like the way I, I like a way of looking at food as forward foods and backward foods okay. so forward foods you know as a coach we always look about the future we don't look about what you uh, what you've done because we're only interested in how that what that's taught you yeah. and and the future so i i quite like um forwards foods and backwards foods yeah, yeah no that's a that's a gentler way of saying yeah. it, isn't it? <laughs> um, but so they've got so they've developed this have these habits as a family mm. um, and then teenagers go on and they develop their own habits i think from the people that they mix with at school or clubs or whatever mm. it might be and those habits might not be as far as food's concerned, might not be what what you as a parent mm. or you as a coach, if it's a sports situation or whatever, mm. want them to have. So how do you go about changing that? Yeah, it's it's difficult. So I, I, the, the reason I love working with teenagers is because it's the first time as parents that we really are losing control of what our children eat. Not only eat, we're losing control of what they do, how much time they necessarily spend outside the house. They probably spend more time in, in their bedroom than they are downstairs. You know, you're calling them eight times to get them to come to dinner. They're in their phone more than they're out of their phone. You know, this is this is the way it is. It, it's a battle. So we are losing we we are losing that control. And what I will say to parents is that you can only control what happens and what goes on in your house sure. but you do have 100% control on that and it's about parenting food the same way that you would parent anything else and and you know there's been lots of articles in the news recently um, entitled Killing Our Children with Kindness. And we feel that when we don't see them that often, we want to give them a treat or we want to give them something that they, you know, they think is a treat. These things aren't treats, you know, meeting them from school or bringing them a donut or bringing them something, you know, a, a, a croissant, it's not a treat. Mm. And I would be very clear about a treat is something that is truly nourishing and going to do you some good. And yeah. um, what parents will often fall into the trap of is giving children things that they think they want to have um and that it's going to you know ease communication and make that make that better and actually it's doing them no good whatsoever physically certainly no good mentally and it won't contribute towards a positive relationship so i say make your kitchen and make your house a haven where you would take decisions on smoking and drinking which are just as damaging um in actual fact the food that they're eating because they're doing it constantly is far more damaging sure. th- than that yeah. so it's don't think of it like that at all it's about I mean, being tough all relative aren't they but yeah you you eat many more times than you would put a cigarette in your mouth or absolutely thing is. Yeah. absolutely and um yeah i refer to something i saw again quite recently um, where four rashes of bacon in a bacon sandwich for a teenager of a weekend is the equivalent of four cigarettes. Um, now, you wouldn't want your teenager having four cigarettes at once, no. but you might think you're doing them a real favour on a weekend in between yeah. the football match, giving them a bacon sandwich. Yeah, or it's a nice thing to do on a Sunday morning. Exactly. Going off for a walk and we'll come back and have a bacon butty. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's about changing that mindset mm. and about being a parent the same way that you would on any other aspect of their life so you'd want them to do the best that they could in their exams you'd want them to you know to learn to swim you'd want them 
um, you know, not to smoke and not to drink. Well, actually, the thing that is going to support everything they're doing at school, their relationships, whether they do well in their exams, um, you know, their communication with you, their physical well-being, their mental well-being, the basis of all of this is what they're eating. So if you're going to take some tough decisions as a parent and you're going to prioritise one thing, for me, it has to be the food. But aren't you lining yourself up for a battle? No, because it doesn't. Nothing. Nothing has to be a battle. Okay. So, so I guess it's um, a case of integration, and it's a case of what I always do is set people up. So I go through stages, and if if people work with me for a longer time, um, then one of my courses is a is a, a transformational twelve week program. And during that twelve week program, we go through modules, and really before you start, it is about connecting to the mindset. And understanding yourself mm. so if you're going to have a couple of difficult conversations you're ready for them yeah. you're happy to answer those questions you know why you're doing it you're connected to the why mm. and something that I have said to my children which they laugh at but I've said it all their lives you know they'll ask for something or ask why they couldn't have a can of coke or whatever and I will just look them straight in the eye and say I, I cannot let you have that mm. because I love you far too much yeah. And what I'll say to parents is, you know, even if you haven't been doing this up until now, say to them, I I have just realised that I have been doing some things that are really quite bad for you. I'm feeling bad about that and I'm going to put that right. So it's all about the messaging um, and certainly it's all about setting yourself up for success. So the stages that you go through will mean that it will be far easier for you. So stage one is getting your home and your kitchen as a haven so that there isn't the temptation. You don't have to have those conversations anymore. And then the second most important bit is about finding your substitutions because this isn't about denial. It's not about, well, where's this and why can't I have that? It's, hold on, look what I've got. I've got something better for you. And this is what I'm going to replace that with. And if it's well, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it is. But this is why it's different. Because I know that this is doing this, 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 this. So we connect to what the food is doing and really build an understanding of, you know, the foods and what they do for you and the effect that has on your body and the effect that has on your teen's body. Because they're only really bothered about a few things. They're bothered about their skin, their hair, the way that they look, um, their relationships with others, how they interact the pressure that they're under from school. And with all of those things, food is the answer. So it's about connecting to their why. You know, when mums work with me, their why might be slightly different, but it's also about connecting back to what those teens are doing and what the children are doing um, and understanding that. And, you know, you are a parent. We parent on every other point, but we rarely, really parent on food. Yeah, it's quite a radical thing to be thinking about, isn't it? But I mean, I suppose there are parents and people that are working with children who are, I'm going to say restrictive, and that's not what, that's not what you're, Mm. that's not the angle you're coming from, Mm. but who do say, no, that's not what we have, or they're consistent in how they eat. So say, for instance, a child is growing up in a vegan household, and they go to school, and they discover that there's meat on the menu even though their parents have given them the choice of well you can have schools at school lunches and but remember that we're a vegan home and that's what we prefer and all the background as to why they eat vegan Mm. my dilemma would be because i know kids who have done this Mm. that suddenly it's like walking into uh, a sweet shop for want of a better scenario Mm. 
and there's all this stuff that they've never tried and why can't I try it and if I try it and I like it mm. what do I do then so mm. how how do you then um, encourage parents that to, to stay consistent yeah I think it's difficult because I think it's about constant education mm. so I'm I'm more fortunate now because my children have come with me on this journey i before i had my first child i I changed the way that i ate and and as i said really took it upon myself to educate myself and to keep abreast of what was going on and it's become my passion which is why i love working with others but i think it is that constant messaging and i think i think we tend to parent the these days much much more differently than our parents did in as much as we don't say to children it is so just do it or I said it so just do it we you know people people say it's liberal parenting but we do ask I'm much happier that my children understand why I'm taking the decision to do something or why they can't do something that will be my decision but I'm still going to explain why so when they are now faced with different choices, and I can give an example of this. My my little boy went to a um, to a party this weekend, and you know we he we he understands now what I do, and he's quite a big advocate advocate of it. But they were having bacon sandwiches, and he probably would have loved a bacon sandwich, but actually the dad made him something different, mm. and he had the choice to do that, but he chose not to because he's heard me do the, the cigarette analogy enough yeah. times he watches the programs that I've watched and I'll give them the takeaways that I've done mm. um, and the same way that we educate our children and we co- try and keep them out of danger you know we'd keep them out of stranger danger we would we, we educate them about all these sorts of things in life that could hurt them yeah. you know for me the biggest thing that we do every day that damages our children can be food yeah so therefore, you know, it, it is about constantly just dropping the information in so that when they are out the house, and you're not going to guarantee it, no. you hope they are going to make sensible choices Jesus. the same way as, you know, when we change our own habits. Yeah. You hope that we're going to make sensible choices. Yeah. You can't guarantee it, but you can educate them around yeah. it. You know, They've got enough knowledge and they see it as a consistent way in their home, then their conscience will well they'll have to weigh that up in their own conscience won't they yeah saying well i know i'd like like you say i know i'd like this but i know that's better for me for the reasons x y yes and that being um consistent in the message that you're giving at home definitely not sneaking off and having a yes and it is about it is about love Mm. you know as i said i've consistently said to my children you can't have that i i love you too much And it's not about the fact that you can't have it because I'm just denying it and I'm saying point blank, well, you can't have it and that's that. I'll explain why something is bad for them and explain why what the alternative and why why that's better for them. You know, and then it's like, okay, well, that's, yeah, I I understand that, I get that. And it may be that when they're out with their friends as teens and they feel embarrassed because someone else is having something, that they do that. But I do know that when they come back to my kitchen and my home my home and my kitchen is a haven for them where my message is consistent and I think that as a parent it's about having that consistency and that message all the way through. I agree I think in this day and age we've kind of gone gone past that where we we can't possibly um, be challenged in how in how we set up our home that's the best for the children that we have or the Mm. children that come into our home um, we think that we've got to supply them with 
<clears throat> like you said before, everything that they want or everything that we think that they need. Mm. Food, clothes, whatever it might be, um, internet, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we forget actually that we're doing, like you said, we're doing them a lot of damage by not parenting them mm. safely. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think it is, in, in, as I say, in any other aspect, I, I, I've never said to my children, do that, it just is, or do it because I say so. Mm. I want them to understand why. I want them to understand my reasoning. And they might not, you know, agree with me, yeah. but certainly as far as food is involved, I couldn't, hand on heart, give them something that I knew was, a de you know, was detrimental to their health. Yeah. And funny enough, I listened to one of the summits I took part in last year and just listened to some brilliant people talking. Um, it was a, a doctor in the States, actually, and he was saying that he, one of the first places that he took his, his son to was a, was a big garden party. And he said that there was just this abundance of sweet foods mm. and biscuits and and he said he watched his son, didn't say he couldn't have anything, but he watched him and he, he didn't, and he was very careful. And at the end of the day, he came home and he said to his dad, dad, didn't those parents love their children? Mm. You know what? And he said, well, yeah, they do. Of course they do. And he said, well, why do they let them have that stuff then? Mm. You know? Yeah, it's, quite, it's a very radical way of thinking, I think, in this day and age, because you associate all of those Yes. Treats and in inverted yeah. commas um, with being loving and kind and having a good time and happy memories and yes. all those sort of things. Yeah, you do. Yeah. But often there's, you know, often after those parties there's tears yeah. and there's upset because you have that amount of sugar yeah. and that amount of empty white calories and the body crashes and yeah. then it's very hard to deal with. But, yeah. you know, one thing I would say is that, you know, I don't come from this, from a position where I did everything right. You know, certainly I came from a position where my body crashed and therefore I had to make changes. So, you know, my work as a coach is absolutely non-judgmental. Um, people are dealing with their own issues and people come to this space and understand that they need to look at food for a whole number of reasons. So there is nothing about it that's judgmental. It's all about um, looking at that relationship and then turning it into something that is beneficial. Yeah, and it's a, it's a long journey for some people, isn't it? It is. I, you know, people might want to come and just do one session or two sessions. I do offer, you know, different packages. I offer a one-off package where we can focus on one thing, but... It's a long, it's a longer change, mm. and in order to make it sustainable and to make it something that you are able to integrate into your life easily, and that becomes a habit, you know, we need to do things to to form a habit so many times, and yeah. that's why for me, twelve weeks is is my optimal amount of time. Yeah. So um, one of the things I absolutely dread is every single day I have to think about what I'm going to cook. Um, breakfast is fine because that's yeah pretty standard every day. Um, lunch is taken care of. For my for my son, it's a lunchbox with not his favourite stuff in there, but stuff that he would actually stuff he'd rather not see. But mm. That's mm. What, that's his lunchbox. Mm. So, um, and I look after my own lunch, and my husband looks after his own lunch. But dinner is something that I dread having to every single day think of something. Um, and it is my job to do job again in inverted commas to do that my husband doesn't particularly enjoy cooking my son's good at it but you know he's busy with school and stuff so occasionally he'll come and do it so it tends to fall on me to do it and it is a feeling of kind of two o'clock every afternoon oh, 
what am I going to do for dinner mm. tonight? So how how do you help people get over, or do you get help people get over that feeling of dread when they're thinking about food? Yeah, I think, again, it comes back to why you're doing it. Okay. It comes back to your goal, um, and it will come back to connecting to... Um, you know understanding why you're doing this and when you understand why you're doing it and then you become quite excited about food again because I think that lots of the mums that I work with have been doing it for so many years and rolling out the the pastas and rolling out the dinners each night that actually they are just weary they're food weary and have a bit of food overwhelm which is what you're describing really but but I would say that you know you've said that's my job in your household everybody eats so what I would say and what I tend to say to to people is at some point you do want to involve everybody Mm. everybody eats everybody knows you know what they like Mm. and so it's not just your responsibility to do that Um, so at some point I would I would make that um, something that the whole family could contribute in in different ways Mm. but it is about connecting to to why you're doing it and then it's about finding ways of, you know, when I work with a family, they don't from one week to the next change everything that they're doing. No. But it is about integrating things into what you're doing that are easier for you, that are going to upgrade the nutrition that you're having incredibly, which is going to see such huge results. Um, about introducing some new foods which are going to have some some good results and about eliminating foods so when you talk about the food overwhelm it's about approaching food in a a whole different way Mm -hmm. it is about again setting your environment up and I talk a lot about stocking your cupboards making sure that you've got things there so that you will have things you know on nights where you get home and you are absolutely under the cosh you'll have about three or four things that you can roll out that you know are doing them some good but they are your quick go-to meals on other nights I encourage um, you know when people have time to prepare for the week so that they have two or three things ready which is there you know when they don't have the time but then on the other night when they do have time to actually you know people will get to a point where they'll go through a process with me where they will be planning and we'll go through and they'll probably have probably 7 to 14 meals on a rolling basis that they're happy with very happy with and that includes um, interlocking that in with um, supplying lunches and everything else And so there isn't this overwhelm because it's absolutely, well, I've got this, 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 this. And it's about understanding your repertoire. Mm. But you'll go from that sort of um, consciously thinking, okay, I've got a batch cook at this point and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, to actually then knowing that you've got the right things in the house. So apart from your go-to meals, you'll be able to come home and you'll think, right, okay, well, I've got sweet potatoes tonight. I've got my homemade baked beans right I'm going to do I'm going to do that and I'm going to take that out the fridge and I'm going to make that mm-hmm. or I'm going to do my stuffed butternut squash because I can I can do that tonight I've got 45 minutes yeah. nothing that I would I would do is over complicated mm. um, it's super tasty yeah. but you know food has to be the passion of the day yeah. and you saying to me you've got some food overwhelm I'd say you've got to get the passion back yeah. and that's about finding some recipes which are really going to excite you yeah. that you're going to put in front of your family and they're going to say well mum you know, wow, Irene, that's that's fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. How did you make that? Yeah, can we have so, that again? Yeah, can we have that again? Mm. So it gets you off your treadmill. Mm. And often people that I'm working with are on a treadmill. They 
they're not necessarily packing the nutrition into their family foods but it's about putting the zing back in understanding what it's doing for you again connecting what it's doing for you um, and then building up your repertoire in different ways and that doesn't mean kicking out everything that you're doing it might mean adding first of all supplementing to what you're doing already then it might be adding in a couple of different things and then it might be experimenting with some new foods so it's upgraded very slowly very sustainably but it's to to um you know it, it's about getting you motivated it's yeah. about changing that whole feeling that you've got each night about yeah. that because you're going to be eating that food yeah. so you want something that isn't just oh i've got dinner you yeah. want something that's, wow you know when i put dinner in front of the children i'm desperate to sit down and eat it because yeah. i know it's going to taste it's gonna be good. It good and i know what it's doing for me yeah. i know how that's feeding me and i know how you know i've probably prepared the broccoli in advance because if you cut broccoli in advance um you know broccoli is superbly good for you anti-cancer properties and and um it's full of antioxidants and and great stuff if you cut your broccoli immediately and use it you lose the sulforaphane which is that that leading um that leading benefit but if you cut it the broccoli and you leave it for a while it's absolutely fine or if it doesn't leach out or if you cook it immediately but you add a little bit of mustard powder on it afterwards then you know that you have again you you know dished up a plate of broccoli that's doing them the best and that gives me such great satisfaction you know understanding these foods and how they work and what it's doing for them and and how that's um you know how that's working for their mental health and how that's feeding their gut biome which is going to give them their energy and give them their immunity i mean above above everything with your children and above everything with your teenagers you're wanting to build their immunity and you're wanting to ensure that they're well and their overall wellness is going to be affected by every mouthful that they put into their body not to mention every cell that they're made of and that keep keep getting replenished every few weeks is made from every mouthful that you give them so that's why it's so important they literally become the food that you let them have Thank you.